We took a little break from Nahum. It's such a long book, we took a break last week. I'm going to back up to verse 7, remind us of that in just a moment. The crusade is still going on tonight, and a lot of our folks are over there, a lot of our teenagers and stuff, so I want to pray. <laughs> the Lord's been saving folks at the crusade, so that's a good thing. And just They can be plugged into churches and be discipled. Uh, so let's be praying about that. And then our Seder meal's coming up Friday, and it's Good Friday, and I actually think Passover starts Friday too. actually falls on the same day as Good Friday this year, which is interesting. So uh, let's pray that the Lord's will will be done and that we'll see more people come to Christ before the Lord winds this all up someday soon, I believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for all the lives that have been saved and changed at the crusade this week. We just give you praise for that. We thank you, Lord, for all your blessings in our lives, Lord. You've been so good to us, more than we deserve, and we're thankful for that, Lord. We know you love us and that you are so merciful and kind and long-suffering. Pray, Lord, as we study your word that we will grow tonight, It'll be planted in us, Lord, that we can grow from it. We pray for this Seder meal that we're going to have this Friday, that you would use that to reveal your son in a greater way to all of us. We pray for this weekend, Lord, that, uh, that if there are lost folks that travel in and out of our doors, that they'll have their lives changed. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nahum, I shared a little bit with you last week. Nahum's pronouncing judgment on Nineveh. It's this a little over a hundred years since Jonah went in there and did the same thing, but they repented. So one of the things that we should be encouraged about is how beautiful repentance is for all of us. And we should be careful not to hold anything against anyone that's repented we shouldn't do that either. If you think about the mercy and the long-suffering of God and how He is willing to accept repentance, what if you went to God and He said, Nah, you've been here before, <laughs> right? Or you've done this before, whatever. But He's long-suffering. He's mindful of man. He knows we're made out of dust. And He is full of forgiveness and offers that to us. So when Jonah went in to Nineveh after riding over there on the, the whale train or the big fish train, gets spit out on the shore, he takes three days and preaches for them to, that judgment's coming. And then they all decide to fast and pray and repent. And God accepts that. And so that lasted for just a little over a hundred years that Nineveh was able to live through their repentance. But things changed. They went right back over time. Probably the biggest fault is parents. That's probably the biggest problem. Then you say that's the... I'm not talking about anybody in here or anybody specifically, but that's the biggest problem with our world. The parents are not doing what Abraham did. They're not passing down the ways of God to the next generation. They're passing them down the latest stuff or whatever they're going to inherit. But we really need to pass them down the ways of God. That's the most important thing we can hand off to the next generation. So over time, just like we see in America, you could not have burned a flag in this country 40 years ago. 50 maybe. But what's wrong? They forgot the price it was paid, right? They forgot all the grandmas and grandfathers that lost their sons and their grandchildren during wars didn't mean anything to them anymore. And the same is true for God, right, in this nation. That's why we've stepped away and we call killing somebody a right with abortion. We keep legalizing things that God hates because we've not done a good job as a group, as parents. And I'm not saying you didn't do a good job. But now you know this as well as I do. We got parents 
that are my age, and I'm 55 and older, that still act like teenagers. I can't tell you the parents over the years that I've had to say, you need to quit acting like a teenager and understand what season of life you're in. You need to lean on your staff. It's time to lean on your staff like Abraham did and quit running around and being a teenager when you're 60 years old. You can't do it no way. Everything hurts too bad. <laughs> you can't do it effectively, right? But it's recognizing what season you're in. And so somehow Nineveh is getting ready to be destroyed just a hundred years, a little more, when they repented. And I'm going to share some New Testament stuff here in just a minute, but let's go through Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, pick up. I wanted to come back to this because this is our encouragement. Even though judgment's going on, and that's what we're seeing in our world today, God's allowing things, and He's going to do some judgment himself in the near future, but he's allowing things to happen that's tumult, a lot of things. Here's what he wants us to remember. He said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. That word knows an intimate word. Jesus said, when you see all this trouble, right, similar type of situation, you see all this trouble, look up, your redemption's drawn nigh. So we, we live in a bubble so to speak, right? I mean, we've got promise after promise how God will take care of us. He will not forsake us. He will always provide for us. And basically, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you guys who know me, I'm with you. I'm in with you. But then he comes back as he started off this book talking about the destruction of God's enemy, the people who are the enemy. And that was one of the reasons Jonah was upset with God forgiving them because of how they had treated his people, Jonah. And he didn't like it. He didn't want them to have mercy. He didn't want them to have forgiveness. We've got to guard against that, right? Because somebody who may have been your enemy in the past, if God forgives them and loves on them, then that opens the door for you and I to do the same thing. And if you ever are challenged not to forgive somebody, just go look in the mirror and remember all the things God's forgiven you for. And so Jonah didn't like it. He, so Nineveh over time went back to the, they were a Syrian type, and they peeled the skin off their enemies alive. I mean, they did horrible stuff. And so Nahum, it's coming back. And God's saying, see, nothing escapes God. He is long-suffering, but nothing escapes His jurisdiction. Now, Nahum is the most verified prophet in the Old Testament. Archaeologically, historically, all 12 of his prophecies have been verified and documented. They have found Nineveh. They found Sennacherib's palace, 71 rooms worth of it. Buried. Their foundations are 40 feet. Some of their foundations are 40 feet below the ground, below the surface. Very, very advanced culture, like Babylon. God's going to pronounce judgment, and if you're not careful, you'll just blow by it and think it's, it's just like an uh, idea, you know, like something that's just suggested, but it don't really have the full, but it all has the full weight. Historically, they've proven a lot of these things that, go, that have happened, all of them, with Nahum. So he is a verified historically and archaeological book. He has these prophecies that he's given have all been verified. I'm going to show you something here that's quite unique about him. He says... Verse 8 says, But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. Now that sounds figuratively, right? And God does use figurative language at times. But that sounds like, okay, they're going to just be walloped by a flood. You know what happened? The Medes and the Babylonians came, dammed up the river, and got it built up so forceful, and then cut it loose. And it flooded Nineveh. And that brought their destruction and their end. They thought they were safe and secure on the Tigris River with all their foundations. But basically what the Medes and the Babylonians did was they unleashed a tsunami against them. 
They backed up the river and backed it up and backed it up. They kept, much like we read about some of these other unique ideas to conquer some of these other cities and kingdoms that we read about in history. So God is awesome. He knew exactly. He orchestrated how they were going to go under. Now, I'm concerned. When I studied Amos and gave a lot of Amos off to you all and what I'm studying here in Nahum, and I've been reading a lot and doing a lot of digging in Haggai, I am really concerned for this nation. I'm not concerned because I'm afraid of Russia. I'm not concerned because I'm afraid of China. I'm concerned because we have turned our back on God so much in this country that we're in trouble. Now, the good news that I discovered, hadn't never seen it like this until the last year and a half, been digging through Amos, shared a lot of that with you all, is that even though the nation can be judged as a whole, there can be pockets of people that are flourishing. That's with Josiah and some of those things that were written. That's what Amos was illustrating us. Some people were having the blessings of God. They were having revival. were doing the things of God while the nation as a whole was getting judged. I think that's what America's under. That some of our cities were burned to the ground in a lot, of, a lot of areas in the last couple of years. A lot of things are bad in this nation and certainly all over the world. We're, we're in the end of time. We're in the last days. God said he would always be a stronghold for those of us who trust in him. And I'm believing that. Not with a question mark either. Without a question mark. He says, what do you conspire against the Lord? He will make another end of it. And affliction will not rise up a second time. This is it. That's what he's telling Nineveh. You're finished. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in the manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. It's going to come to an end. For now I will break off his yoke from you, and he's talking to his people as well, and burst your bonds apart. And this is prophetically looking toward the Antichrist to some degree as well. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer out of the house of your gods, little g. I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Let me tell you something. I doubt, at least to the level, I doubt the level of molesting children sexually in Nineveh was less than what it is in this country. I would say that's true. Now, they, they were wicked people. They did wicked things. But... I believe America is doing some things that some of those cities did in Gomorrah and Sodom. We're doing those things, and then we hand it off to the rest of the world. You know, we, it, it'll blow your mind, and it's hard, to, it's hard to even listen to how much sex slave trade there is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That's not a family city anymore. We know people who live there. That used to be where families went. Now you have to pick and choose where you go in Myrtle Beach because it's getting really bad. But sin knows no boundaries, right? It knows no boundaries. It don't say, oh, that's a family place. We don't go over there and sin. Not how the devil works, right? He goes after everything and everybody. So they're in trouble. Just 100 years after they had revival, and everything's going good. And then a few generations, right? He says, Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast. And we're going to celebrate a feast this weekend, three of them. Not out of obligation under the law, but out of revelation because they show us who Jesus is. And he says, he says, For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Now that again, 
He's talking to Israel, but that's prophetic because there's a day coming when the wicked one's going to be gone once and for all. And that's good news. Amen. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied him out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets, jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches and they run like lightning. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste in their walls. Their defense is prepared. The gates and the rivers are open. The palace is dissolved. It is decreed. She shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up. And her maidservants shall lead her with the voice of doves beating their breast. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Got to get out of there. The floods come. There's other places. Babylon's desolate. Some said that Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild that. But the Bible says, Cursed is a man who goes back there and tries to rekindle that fire in Babylon. He certainly was a cursed man. Anybody have that idea? I'm going to say something to you. When I just showed you here that it says a flood's going to wipe Nineveh out, your God is perfect. He knows everything about everything. And he's in charge. And whatever he said in this book here is going to come to pass exactly the way he said it. Now, if you're lost or if you're a prodigal, that may cause you to shudder. But if you're one of the righteous, not by your own, I'm not saying that, by the blood of Christ, if you're one that is hanging on and, and living hupomene, being consistent with your Christian, that gives us cause to rejoice. We're not in the dark about nothing. We don't have to wonder who's going to win this thing when it's over. We don't have to know what, we don't have to try and figure out which nations are which. They're clearly spelled out. Everything's going to fall in place just like God said it. Now that's bad news for the people who are not serving the Lord. But for those who are serving Christ, that is good news. We should be rejoicing because not one jot or tittle, Jesus said, will fall that, will, that every part of God's Word will come to pass. Every single bit of it. And then he says, um, they'll say, come, come back, basically. No one turns back. Takes full of silver, takes full of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. Job said the wicked are going to lay it up and the righteous are going to get it. And that's what happened. God sent a delusion to one camp and the lepers went in and cleaned them out. Remember that in the Old Testament? God's able. He, said he, can, he, can send, he sent hornets in to drive one group of people out. Hornets. The hornets have to obey the Lord. Think about that for a minute. The hornets have to obey the Lord. If God says, if he whistles, the hornets have to go where he tells them to go. Your God, and I'm feeling this, your God is amazing. Our God, I should say. How that these birds from up in the northern part of Europe will fly down into South America and lay their eggs 2,000 and some miles away, and the eggs will hatch, and they fly exactly where they're supposed to be with the rest of their family. There's your great scientist, the Lord. He's the greatest scientist of all. Makes, and some of you heard me say this before, makes the Brachinus beetle, who blows 360 degrees Fahrenheit out his back end. And survives. It don't kill him. You talking about a muffler system. <laughs> that dude's got a nice set of pipes, don't he? <laughs> Our God is so awesome that he makes the bumblebee fly. And he shouldn't be able to. Your God is so awesome that he makes hinds feet for these deer and these varieties of that particular species to walk on cliffs and stuff that a human can't do. But then he said to us, he said, when you get in trouble, 
He said, I'm going to make your feet like hinds feet, so no matter what's in front of you, you can get over it. That's the kind of God we serve. He's so awesome. And how Nineveh lost sight of that. But you know what? That's how all countries seem to do. They lose. Israel was babied by God. They didn't even have to go to Walmart and buy nothing. He just dropped food out of heaven for them. Manna, quail. They needed water one day. He didn't call uh, Aquafina. He just brought it out of a rock. I mean, they were spoiled. And the only group of people that's almost as spoiled as Israel was is the people you and I are sitting with and living with in this country. To whom much is given, much is required. And, the, and Nineveh was like that. What about God? Can you imagine that? If they'd had cell phones back then, and here Jonah comes out and some guy catches him on the cell phone like, what just happened? Biggest catfish ever. Spits this dude out, and he's prophesying. I mean, that was pretty astounding. God done something that got their attention. He didn't just send them a letter. He had a guy spit out on their shore out of a great fish. You're talking about making an impact. And he, he, he made an impact, and it caused the whole nation to turn around. I tell you, God's good. But I want to ask you something. How many people does he have to spit out in this country on the shore side, figuratively speaking, before we say, hey, we're going the wrong direction as a group? That doesn't mean you're going the wrong direction. But as a group, we are. He said, uh, I'll tell you one almost as good as Jonah here in a minute. <clears throat> he says, she's empty, desolate waste, her heart melts, her knees shake, much pain is on every side, her faces are drained of color. That's how bad it is. Let me tell you something. If God's anger gets stirred and He raises up a tsunami, your tanks can't do nothing with that. Your airplanes can't do with it and your ships are going to be destroyed. See, God don't even have to use a gun. He don't have to throw a grenade or a nuclear warhead. All He has to do is say, let's just send about two feet of snow over there and we'll shut them down. Or let's drop hell out of the heavens that's not snow or ice, let's make it fire this time. Your God, man, that's why man needs to bow down and realize we're nothing without Him. I don't care how many guns we think we've got or how much money. He said, James said in the last days, people are going to keep storing up stuff. And he said, it's all going to be worthless, James said. Storing against the last days, he said. Storing against the last days. Your last day and my last day may be tonight. Just this week, two people, three people I know, found them dead. Their last night was this week. Then he says, Where is the dwelling of the lions, the feeding place of the young lions? When the lion walked, the lioness and the lion's cub, no one made them afraid. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed the... Killed for his lioness, filled the caves with prey and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn you, chariots and smoke. Your sword shall devour Excuse me, what did Nineveh trust in? Chariots and horses. What do you think America trusts in as a group? Chariots and horses. And we don't, but that's what they do. Our, our nation at large does. We got money. We got helicopters. We got, we got, we got. Your young lines, I will cut off your prey from the earth. The voice of your messenger shall be heard no more. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Now he's talking. This is, he's exposing. Now, the first chapter, the Lord announced the verdict. The second chapter, and this is just three chapters. We're going to get done tonight. If we have to stay till 10, we're getting done. <laughs> the second chapter is how he's going to do it. So you might want to jot this down or come back if, you, if you're going to share this with somebody. This is a good book for us to learn the beauty of repentance, because you can reflect back to Jonah and how it works, but also if you don't stay in where you're supposed to stay, the judgment's going to come again. And then the third chapter is where he justifies why he judged them. So the first chapter, he announces the verdict. The second chapter, he gives the process of how it's going to come down.
the, all that. The part of the first chapter as well does that. And in the third chapter, he's going to justify or, or tell us why he did it. He says, Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robberies. Victim never departs. Man, that just sounds like America to me. Do you know people can get on a social media platform and ruin somebody's life and never say who they are because they're chicken? If you're man enough or woman enough to say something about somebody, put your name on it. Chickens. The noise of a whip, the noise of rattling wheels, the galloping of horses, the clattering of chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, the great multi number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Now, this is what was going on before God judged. They're, they're just a mess. It's a mess. Because of the multitude of harlotries, the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, witchcraft, drug abuse, who sells nations through their harlotries and families through their sorceries. Let me say something. That's, what, that's horrible. And what America did back in the day with slavery was horrible. But do you know what happened in Africa? Their own people round them up and sold them. That's horrible too. That's what was going on in Nineveh. It was bad on both sides of the pond. And he says, he says, Behold, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I, I can't help but feel that for America. We've slaughtered at least 60 to 80 million babies that we know about in this country. Only the Lord knows how many children have been molested by an adult. And foster children, it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. In this state. And all others. He says, fatherless. Motherless, children just wandering, no family to take them in. But here's what the Lord said in Psalm 27. He said, when your father and mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. The Lord's willing. He, he's willing to take anybody. He says, I'll, he says, I'll lift your skirts over your face. They used to do it for fun. He's doing it for judgment. I will show your, uh, the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth with you, make you vile, make, your, make you a spectacle. I, I was having a pretty intense conversation with somebody. It's a good one. Uh, but it was prophetic and very, I think the Holy Spirit was speaking to us while we were having it. And this is what came out of that conversation. When you keep doing things as a nation against God, the decisions you project forward are foolish. Look how many horrible decisions we're making as a nation. Look at us. We're in a bad shape. Inflation's at a 50-year high. Gas is at an all-time high. None of our decisions are working out. But we keep turning, and it's not just one administration. Look. It took men of a hundred years to finally God say, hey. So it's been going on for a while. It started, and you've heard me say this, and we're there. We're at the hundred-year mark. The 60s was a bad moment for this country by the rebellion and turning against God, but it started in the 20s. It started with materialism and, and entertainment. Our country started gravitating toward that and moving away from God. Their, our desires became materialistic and entertain, entertaining. Uh, and God was second fiddle now. And now you've got folks that, that aren't even, don't even have an inclination to go to church. Because it ain't been passed down. It was more important for other things than to serve the Lord. But I want to ask you real soberly right now. What is, there is nothing more important than serving the Lord. Not for you, not for me, not for my children or my grandchildren or anybody else's children or grandchildren. 
There's nothing. The most important thing that's going on in your children and grandchildren's life is their journey of faith. It's more important than their college education. Did I say that? And I'm going to say it again. It's more important than their college education. It's more important than their job. It's more important than what car they drive. It's more important than all of that. And I'm going to say it, and I've got a couple of pieces of paper, and my wife's in the middle of that education, and many of you are too. But education is not a God. We've made it a God in this country. And look at us. we got educated dummies telling us we come from apes and killing our offspring and saying it's, the, it's okay. And somebody who represented the Catholic Church stood up and had the gall to say it, abortion is a blessing. That's education. Why do we need to teach sex education to elementary students? I'm going to say this to the whole world. I knew it was coming. If you want to teach sex education to an elementary student, you're a pervert. That's what's wrong with you. We're falling behind in math and science. How about a little bit of that? And we're the fattest country in the world now. How about some recess time? And some special ed- some, uh, uh, what's the word? Some, uh, uh, I'm, I've lost my train of thought. Physical education, how about that? Instead of letting them sit in the bleachers. Amen. I knew I'd get some. I may take up offering. I got such a good response. Uh, got no business. We're, we're loading up our little poor little children's brains with stuff they don't need to be loaded up with. It, it's an abomination. I tell you, it's an abomination. And if you could turn the clock back 60 years, we wouldn't even be discussing that stuff. People would be afraid to even bring it up. We had a guy a few years ago out in Colorado who went to court with a female lawyer, by the way, who argued his case that because his daughter belonged to him, he had the right to molest her. If you'd have brought that in the courtroom 60 years ago, they'd have took you and your lawyer and put both of you in jail. We, this, that stuff's insane. But we, we've let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, if you want to say it that way. We, that God, how can we, as a nation be given as much good things from God Almighty and escape the judgment with the way we've treated Him. Now, you and I can escape judgment, and whosoever will can. If you're listening to me today, and this is rocking your world just a little bit, or you get this podcast, all you need to do is ask Jesus the Christ to forgive you of your sins, invite Him into your heart, and start serving Him and following Him. That will get you out of the judgment line. He will do that. He's so mar- marvelous. One of the best, you know, Peter did one of the worst things in the Bible. Maybe the worst thing. He denied Jesus Christ three times. How do you do that? You watch all the things he does and you act like you don't even know him. But then Peter, before all that, Peter cuts this guy's ear off and Jesus covers his sin. That's the most beautiful place in the Bible where a man's sins was covered. He shouldn't have been cutting that guy's ear off. Jesus didn't want him to do that. He should have been praying. Jesus had asked him to pray, and he was sleeping. Come on now. I call that distant discipleship. Instead of praying, he's sleeping. He gets up and reacts in the flesh, right? Pulls his sword out, cuts the guy's ear off. Maybe he was aiming for his head. Who knows? But he got, gets his ear, and Jesus heals the guy instantly. Now, can you, now, Peter should have at least been in prison for that or lost his life, possibly. For making that mistake. Jesus covered his sin. Can you imagine the, the guard going into the, uh, the, the pilot and saying, listen, we need to arrest Peter. And he'd say, well, what do you do? He said, well, he cut my ear off. He said, well, let's see. And he said, well, it's on now, but it was. <laughs> it was on the ground, I promise. <laughs> I promise. And I bet he's thinking, where's the cell phone? Where's the cell phone? I wish I had a cell phone. <laughs> But see how much the Lord wants to cover us? What did He say to Jerusalem? He said, how long did I desire to draw you in like a mother hen does her little chicks and bring you into me? That's what Jesus was saying. And that's what He did for Nineveh. And Nineveh still done Him that way. They still done. And I want to say the same thing. God, you've been so good to us here in this country. We are blessed beyond measure. We couldn't spend a lifetime and tell how good you are. And look how we've done you. Shame on us. Have mercy on us. Forgive us. He says, 
Nineveh's laid waste. We'll flee and you'll say, Nineveh's laid waste. We'll moan her. Seek comforters for you. Where shall I seek? Are you better than, are you better than no Ammon? Was there a situation that was situated by the river? Because they were, Nineveh's on Tigris River. They had the waters around her, whose rampart was sea, whose wall was the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubim were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed into pieces. They destroyed them all. They did that with Israel. Hitler did it with Israel. Children. Hitler did horrible experiments on the Jews, but they turned their back on God just like Nineveh. And they knew more about God than Nineveh did. And we do too. I feel like America's in a better spot than Nineveh. I think the only country that's in front of us with God's mercy and blessing is Israel. I think America's second in line for that. And at the head of every street, they will cast lots for the honorable men, and all the great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they will fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. See, there again, again. And that's what's going to happen to them. The water's going to come in. Because the Medes and Babylonians got a plan to send a tsunami on Nineveh. And he says, uh, people, to miss your women, the gates are wide. Draw your water for the sledge. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. So they're going to say, basically what he's saying, we'll do this. Now, I, I shared this. It's been a while. But after 9-11, we had congressmen from both sides of the aisle get up and try to use the Bible, and they were both stupid. Because what they did is they took that passage out of Isaiah and used it by saying after the towers had fallen, they said, we'll come back, we'll build better, we'll build stronger, we'll build out of more material. They had no idea what they were saying. That was Israel in Isaiah's prophecies. That was Israel defying God. God had judged them and they said, we don't care what you do, God, to judge us and get our attention. We're going to build back better. We're going to build back stronger. You know what the one in heaven does? The Bible says he just sits around and laughs when the kings of the earth think they can outdo him. They had no idea. They thought they were using Scripture in context. It was both sides of the aisle. They had no idea that they were using it totally out of context and they were actually being defiant toward God. That's what Israel was doing. And that's what they're doing. They're thinking, I'm going to go fix this. I, I'll go out just like I did before, just like Samson did, right? He fooled around with the devil long enough. Funny, he rose up and he couldn't get loose. And that's what's happening in Nineveh. And even God was merciful on uh, Samson too, wasn't he? He had mercy on him in the end. He said, the fire will devour you, the sword will cut you off. I will eat up, you will be eat up like locusts. Make yourself many like locusts. Make yourself many like a swarming locust. Uh, the Bible says in Armageddon that the, the, it'll take them, well, there's another war too, it said it take them seven months to bury the dead. When God shows up, the bullets always hit their mark. That's why Ahab got hit with that arrow. He thought he was going to outsmart God, right? That's what's wrong with the world right now. They think, we're going to outsmart God. And they said a stray arrow found a kink in his armor and killed him. You can't hide from God. I can't hide. None of us can hide from God. You multiplied your merchants, your stars of heaven, your locusts plunder and flies away. The commanders are like swarming locusts. Your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away. And the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. You people are scattered, O mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually. They've been mean to everybody, wicked to everybody. And so God's saying, everybody's going to be excited when they find out you're done. If you remember in Isaiah, he got, God got upset with uh, Sennacherib because Sennacherib was doing God's bidding, but then Sennacherib took it too far, and God said, he, remember this phrase? God said, you forgot the hand that swings the axe. God said, I'm the hand, you're the axe. I'm just using you however I want to. And Sennacherib forgot who was in charge. He thought he was. 
Let's not forget that. I'm telling you, Putin ain't in charge. God's in charge. Biden's not in charge. God's in charge. Mao Sung too, whatever, all them guys over there, none of them's in charge either. If he had a Greek name, I could say it. Now, Capernaum was named after Nahum. Capernaum. So that's, that was an important city. That's basically where Jesus had his headquarters. This prophet was on fire. Twelve prophecies in three chapters. And God has verified them all through archaeological stuff and history. Now let's go to the New Testament. I'm going to show you. This is the word that keeps sticking out to me. When you read Nahum 1 and 7, God is a stronghold and He knows those who trust in Him. In John 15, some of you remember this word because I preached out, out of this chapter, of course, but this word. In John 15 and 9, this is the word, me know. It's a word that's translated abide. Some of your translations may have continue there. That's the word the Holy Spirit keeps speaking to me today. Continue. Continue. Now, if you look at continue, it's like hupomene, right? The word consistency. That you have to continue in order to be consistent, right? So that's what God's after. He's not looking for perfect people. He looked for one. He found him. His name's Jesus. He hung on the cross. He's the only begotten son. He's our way out of here. So God looked for a perfect man. He found him. That's all settled. What God's after now is people who will endure. People who will stay in there who will keep in the fight, will not turn back. People who are consistent, who pominate, continue. In John 15, 9, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Continue in my love. One the New King James says abide. That means mino. It means to, la to last, to persevere, to remain. If you keep my commandments, you will abide or continue in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Jesus equates our journey with Him the same as His journey with the, only, with the Father. Now go to Romans. I'm going to read Romans and I'm going to quit tonight. Romans chapter 11, which is where Basilea Ministries was born out of. Romans chapter 11. The tree with the star David <clears throat> and the fish symbol. Let me, let me show you something. Let's start with verse uh, 11. 11 and 11. Let me read some of this to you, and I want you to think about continuing, hanging in there. See, that's what Nineveh didn't do. They didn't continue on. They went right back to their old ways. I say then, has God cast away his... I'm sorry, I'll start verse 1, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Talking about Israel. His answer to that is certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So God has worked out a plan where Israel has been plummeted, and the rest of the world, salvation has been opened up to them. Now, if their fall is riches toward the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness be? In other words, God is going to come back to Israel, and that's what the tribulation period is all about. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Now, Paul is a Jew, but he's the apostle that was commissioned to the Gentiles. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. So he said, I'm going to the Gentiles, but I hope that some of my brothers will see the light as well. And he's talking about the Jews. For if they're being cast away as a reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but from life from the dead? So God is going to bring back the nation. We've watched that happen since 1948. They're getting ready to see their Messiah. For if the first root is holy, the lump is holy, and the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, now listen up. If some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. So a wild olive tree, the way you tell a wild olive tree from a, a natural olive tree is a wild olive tree can't bear fruit. It can bear fruit if it's grafted into a natural tree. That's how you distinguish these olive trees. Now, so we were the wild ones, right? We were not given the oracles of God. The only way we could bear fruit is to be engrafted into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And now we can bear fruit as Gentiles. Same that what God offered them, the oracles, we didn't get the same things they got. And then he says, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Uh, don't have the attitude that God ought to be glad to have you. We ought to be on our faces every day. 
thankful that he would have us, that he would receive us. But you'll say, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. The response is well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. So he gets to the crux of the issue. God took that situation. Because of their unbelief slash disobedience, he opened that up in a different way to the Gentiles, which is all part of the plan. So Paul gets back to the issue. The, the heart of the matter is it's, it's, it's unbelief. He said, do not be haughty, but fear. He said, we're living by faith too, us Gentiles. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Now there again, he's talking about endurance. He's talking about continuing, abiding. That's what we got to have. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to understand everything. None of us are. But we know in whom we've believed. We know what He's done in our life. We believe His Word. We've seen it come to pass in our lifetime, and we're watching it on the news. We've seen the evidence historically and archaeologically of all these other things that we've studied and know are true that God cannot lie. So we're in, on the right team. We're, we're following the Lord and Savior of the universe. So if you don't understand everything, or if you miss the market times, just keep moving forward. Don't, do not turn back. Do not let up. Do not give up. Continue. Abide. And this is a little different word. It's uh, epamino. It has a, a suffix on it. Excuse me, prefix. It means to continue. The verb form, right? To, we love these verbs. Continue to embrace. Don't, I embraced that six months ago, so I'm good. <laughs> Think how foolish that sounds. What if I, what if, would you say that about eating? I ate six months ago, so I'm good. I drank some water six months ago. Well, you wouldn't even be alive at this point. But even six days, right? I drank water six days ago. I'm good, right? Continue. That's what the message is. Continue. That's what Nineveh didn't do. They didn't continue. God's saying continue. And he says, you continue in his love here. He says, uh, if you continue his goodness... Otherwise, you may also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. That's repentance, forgiveness. God's always into that. Nineveh was the same way a hundred years before. What was different? They repented. And God said, I'll take it. That's beautiful. So God's saying, here, if the Jews will repent, they'll be right back in. And if you get out there and get high-minded and think you're all that and walk out on God and don't continue, you're going to get cut off. And then he goes on to say, he says, and they also, if they do not continue to unbelief, will be grabbed in. For if God is able to grab them in again, for if you were cut off the olive tree that is wild, which is wild by nature, or grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? Don't be ignorant, he says, of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as is written. God's gathering them up. There's going to be a day, soon I believe, when the focus shifts back off the Gentiles, back onto the Jews. That doesn't mean Gentiles won't be getting saved. Because John said he saw a number that no man could number coming out of the great tribulation of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So the other people are going to be getting saved, but the focus going back to Israel. There are Jews. I have friends who are Messianic Jews. They're real ethnic Jews, but they've been born again. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. So the focus is on the Gentiles now, but Jews, some Jews are being born again. The focus is going to go back and shift to Israel, and there'll still be Gentiles being saved, but the Jews will be the focus again. And... There's going to be a moment in the middle of the tribulation where the whole nation is going to turn back to God because they're going to realize that the guy's the Antichrist and they're going to know that, he's, that they missed their Messiah. We're on the verge of all that. I mean, I'm excited about it. I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear about the world and all its system and all that. I don't, I don't have any of that fear. I, I feel like God's doing supernatural stuff in us to make us where we don't fear those kind of things. God's in charge. And I'm going to live that way. I'm going to live like I know and understand that my God is in charge of everything. Amen? Let's give Him some praise tonight. So you all know that 
I was going to tell you something to com not hardly compare to Jonah, but something that you all get a kick out of. I grew up, mostly my family were coal miners. Actually, I was a coal miner for a few years before I went into ministry full-time. And my father was a railroader, so all of our communities basically were built around coal in one way or another, you know. Well, when the coal boom hit in the 70s, there's a big boom hit in the 70s. <clears throat> well, it's a little bit like Beverly, Hill, Beverly Hillbillies for some of them. Some of these people got rich overnight. They found coal on their property, and they got rich overnight. So in Pike County, and I know guys from Pike County because we crossed paths when I was mining. Some guys, they'd be companies, send people here and there. Pike County is representative of the coal boom. There's a lot of millionaires in Pike County. At one time, there were more millionaires in Pike County per capita than any other city in Kentucky because of coal. They got rich overnight. So they decided to build them a fancy restaurant in Pike County. They didn't have one at that time. And so they built a restaurant that served seafood and, and all that, and really getting, getting uptown in Pike. <clears throat> they would fly in from Lexington. It's a true story. They would fly in lobster, stuff like that, to Pike County, a little jumper plane, get it over there for the weekend so the, the new millionaires could... Do like the Beverly. I don't think they eat off a pool table, but they do like. <laughs> One time, the lobster came in and they were spoiled. And so the cook at this high-end restaurant for pie, he decided because this was back before all the, everything's modern, right? He decides, true story, to take all these lobsters down to the local swimming hole and lay them out all over the bank. And the tails, because not everybody was rich, right? You have, it's everybody. The tails from the swimming hole that day were horrendous. Biggest crawdads ever seen in my life. <laughs> that was the story. So it wasn't quite like Jonah, but it was a little funny. They had tails come out of that for years to come. Somebody had seen the biggest crawdads they'd ever seen. In All right. <laughs> Todd, will you, Todd will take up the tithing offering if you brought that tonight out in the back. Um, just uh, remember to be praying for this Friday uh, so that the Lord will have his way at our Seder time. We really want to experience him. Amen. All right. You're free to go.